0: That was great stuff. Um, We're really thankful to have the chance to even minister to your children, those who are members here and others who are visitors. And uh, it's a blessing to us. And I I hope that for all the volunteers and for Sunday school teachers and Vacation Bible School volunteers and uh, Awana workers and parents, those all are faithful to teaching the kids. I hope today is an encouragement to you as we looked at just how How important all of this is of teaching our children uh, the Holy Scriptures. Today we're going to, uh, I guess in the spirit of things, be chapter completers, since the kids were book completers, or chapter finishers in Luke chapter 17. You can turn your Bibles there now, uh, as we have a number of Awana guests with us. I'd like to simply begin by reading this passage uh, once again uh, that describes the day of Christ's Sudden return uh, to bring judgment upon the ungodly, to gather his elect, and then inaugurate his kingdom. And uh, as we read, it will help you to recognize that in the Bible, the title, the Son of Man, was an Old Testament uh, prophetic reference to the coming Messiah, that is Christ. It was uh, uh, foretold by the prophet Daniel. So as we read this passage, uh, Jesus is using the title, Son of Man, in in reference to himself. Let's begin reading Luke chapter 17, verse 24. For just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah... So it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on that day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down and take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken, the other will be left. And answering, they, meaning the disciples, said to Jesus, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the body, actually corpse, where the corpse is, there also the vultures will be gathered. You know, we've been studying this passage now for this will be the fourth Sunday for those of you who have been here and we have discovered that that Christ he speaks about his return to establish uh, his uh, eternal reign and his earthly kingdom profusely throughout Scripture. Many, many different times we've learned over the last four weeks. Uh, Therefore, we've enjoyed the benefit of drawing from many different passages, many different biblical writers, uh, to paint a colorful picture of that day. And we've learned that Christ's return, it is secure. There is no doubt about it, meaning it's guaranteed to happen. We learned on a predetermined day, already set by God. We also know that He will appear suddenly... Like lightning in the sky, the Apostle Peter describes how unbelievers will be mocking in that day uh, the idea of Christ's return right up until the moment that he comes like a thief. That day will come like a thief. We're also told that day will be a typical, ordinary day. A lot like today. We've also come to understand in this study just this last Sunday that on that day as were Lot and his wife, we will we'll be separated from all wealth and every earthly possession that we've stockpiled while we've been here in our relatively brief life on earth. Uh, we found one reason that re- Jesus repeatedly urges his disciples to be ready is because he promises to return bearing his reward to each person. Each in faithful service, Christ's final exhortation, by the way, in the Bible is found in the closing verses of the uh, Revelation chapter twenty-two. He says, "This, behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Rewards according to faithful service. No Christian will be able to declare in that day, you know, I didn't know this was coming." I wasn't prepared because I just didn't know, uh, because we see these very things repeated again and again throughout the Bible. In fact, with all we've studied, I, I found myself, honestly, very much longing for that day. Longing for the day of Christ's return. You know, when I was young, I used to long for Christmas, Right? Because just waiting for Christmas and and, and that we would celebrate that first advent of Christ, the first coming of Christ, when he came as a baby in a manger, we celebrated that through the sharing of gifts. Um, Now I just can't wait for that day of the second advent. The day that Christ comes where the righteous elect finally inherit Christ's kingdom on earth. And, And it just so happens that we finish this passage today acknowledging the severity of judgment. The severity of judgment coming on that day, Uh, judgment, as we've learned, is displayed throughout this passage that we just read um, multiple times. It's especially visible, you can see in verses 34 to 37. One will be taken, the other will be left. And and it will be that sudden, that sudden, that that the believing remnant will be separated from this world uh, and the wrath of God's judgment will fall upon all who remain on that day. And I was honestly contemplating over the last couple of weeks, knowing where we we're going to land here, this, this, this Awana Sunday. And I was contemplating the severity of judgment and, and speaking about that on Awana Sunday. And, and uh, I was like, what am I going to do? How to present this? And, and how to be kind? And I was quickly reminded the ultimate reason that we do Children's ministries, all kinds of children's ministries, VBS, youth group, Sunday school, Awana, etc. It's because we want our children to be ready on that day. That's why we do it. That day that Christ's sheep are promised to inherit God's blessed kingdom as they are separated from the unbelieving goats who are, Matthew 25, that we read last weekend, cast into eternal fire and everlasting torment. And for a moment, I thought to myself how this severity of judgment today, it isn't the kindest of topics to speak about, um, discussing with visiting families and even our own. But then again, I thought, you know what? Maybe it is. Maybe it actually is the kindest and most compassionate thing that we can speak about in regards to ourselves and to our children. Um, perhaps the kindest thing we could do, especially appropriate for today. Because after the three to eight-year-olds, the, the, the youngest children are dismissed. You know, we got the ones through twos back in the nursery. My wife Rita's there with them today. Um, we're left then with nine to 12-year-olds who get to remain with the rest of us older kids, right? We all get to enjoy this together. The TNT boys the 9 to 12 year old boys are the group that i got to assist mr al with mr al heads up that class and i i get to assist in there and each year we graduate another class of 12 year olds out of awana and i haven't you know planned for today to turn into a discussion about whether or not there is a an age of accountability you know there are good christians on opposing sides of that debate uh, besides that, however, our passage in Luke chapter 17 doesn't address uh, in the discussion anything about it, so we're going to pro- postpone our pinpointing of the precise age of accountability until a later date when we eventually encounter that age in Scripture. That'll be a while, right? But the debate goes on about an age, about an age. I do believe, I think we can all agree on this today, all Christians here can agree, that, that ages 9 to 12 and beyond, 9 and 12 and older, they're certainly appropriate for baptism for those who've come with a sincere uh, understanding of sin, of separation from God, of salvation, and, and also the severity of God's wrath upon sin, which, by the way, was, was placed upon the shoulders of Christ on the cross the wrath of God that he bore, the sins of the world. So if we can agree that some TNT boys and some TNT girls are spiritually mature enough to be baptized into the faith, then we would also have to agree that they are surely more than mature enough to to endure a rational conversation about God's judgment and the return of Christ. So one of the first things that we would want to remind our youth, and we do, Pastor Weiler does an outstanding job of this, is, is that you just can't keep on delaying. You follow me? You just can't keep delaying a decision to embrace Christ as Savior. Because Luke 17, verse 34, ensures that we we won't have a chance to prepare on that day that He returns. There's not going to be time. Notice Jesus warns, I tell you, on that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. No one here had better delay. You know, Judgment will arrive that suddenly. And we learned a couple weeks ago how some mistake this passage for a pre-tribulation rapture. You can arrive at that from other passages, but not this one. This clearly instead describes the moment of Christ's return. That's what we're talking about here. The day of his return to establish his kingdom and judge the wicked. And people have asked you know, whether this describes the wicked being taken into judgment or the righteous taken to safety. And that depends upon who you read. My impression is those removed are taken to Christ's safety before he judges the earth. And this seems to be, to me, more consistent with the illustrations that Jesus himself uses with Noah and with Lot. Those are the examples he gave. Noah was taken to safety in the ark as God judged those who were left behind in a flood. Lot and his daughters were taken out of Sodom to safety again while fire and brimstone rained upon those who were left behind. Behind. Uh, verse 35 says, There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, the other will be left. And I would have to think the woman left grinding at the mill is the one who's going to suffer judgment, right? The one taken is taken to safety. There are people good people who disagree. John MacArthur uh, actually believes those who are taken are taken to judgment. Uh, but, but either way, no major doctrine hinges on this. Of greater importance. Of greater importance is why does the first illustration depict people sleeping at night in the bed while the others describe people who are performing normal daytime activities? I'm glad you ask. This is because this passage describes God's final global judgment. Upon sin, So whether you are working or whether you are sleeping, when he comes, it will merely depend upon what side of the planet that you live on. Judgment is going to be that widespread uh, onto the entire planet. Some will close their eyes at night and, and lie down to sleep, and they will open them with a view of either glory or hell. Think about that. Maybe it'll be tonight. If you, by observing other scriptures, you know, defend a pre-tribulation rapture, that would effectually work the same way. What Jesus warns here is that when you lay your head down at night, you better be ready. Every night that you lay your head down, you had better be ready. Others who are living on the near side of the sun... It is daytime. They'll be enjoying normal daily activities. In verse 26, Jesus assures that just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. The flood came and destroyed them all. With Lot, we read, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were, they were building on that day until that moment fire and brimstone rained down from heaven and it destroyed them all. Beware of this. Beware of this. Every depiction that we find in Scripture provides, uh, that is provided of Christ's return assures it is going to be an utter surprise to those who are judged. An utter surprise to those who mock God and mock the the telling of his coming. And you hear their mocking voices as we've studied before. Second Peter 3 verse 4. Where is the promise of his coming, right? We're in that passage a couple weeks ago. Where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it has from the beginning of creation. That's what people think. That everything's just continued as it always has on that day. And I know for many of us that this is review. This is like a condensed review of the things that we've been talking about. Um, but, I, but I have to draw today your attention to something that we have not talked about since we've been in chapter 17. It's, it's really important. You young folks need to take heed of this, especially your generation coming out up now. Uh, this is important. You young folks do not need to worry about the world ending through climate change or mass extinction. No, no. Claims like that, claims like that arise from people trying to control you through fear. That, that, that's what that is. Um, Christians recognize, Jesus says there will be, well, regional disasters, wars and rumors of wars, there will be famines and earthquakes. Uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 24, there always have been. They always have every era, uh, in every century, there's always been these things. And, and he affirms through history of mankind, such things have always occurred. Therefore, he says in Matthew 24, verse 6, see to it that you are not afraid. That's what he's teaching us. When you see all these things going on, see to it that you are not afraid because the end is not yet, right? Don't let those things scare you. But on the day that Christ returns to judge the earth, Scripture repeatedly reassures that people will be experiencing a typical ordinary day. Marrying, given in marriage, building, eating, drinking. Folks, our planet is not dying. Nor will civilization end through a worldwide nuclear war. It's not going to end through a rogue asteroid hitting the earth. That's not going to happen. Uh, that, that is not what we need to fear. And, and when it comes to discussions like climate change, you know, uh, do, does man affect it all uh, to a small degree? We don't know. Climate has always changed. There's, they say there have been ice ages. There have been changes in different things. Uh, the important thing is for Christians is that we realize that the end is not going to come that way. I've got just a couple A couple things here. A couple reports. I call them crazy predictions. I'll use the title. This really isn't very nice, Well I'll use the title by Walter E. Williams on the Daily Wire that says Idiotic Environmental Predictions. And um, these are by reputable scientists. And they can be researched. These are people who forecasted the end of the world decades ago. We're still here. We're still here. here. Just a couple. Just a couple. I got several here. Um, As reported in the New York Times, August 1969, Stanford University biologist Dr. Paul Ehrlich, Stanford. Now, folks, that's a biology um, mecca right there. We're not talking about, you know, a backcountry junior college. This is Stanford, a biologist there. He warned the trouble with almost all environmental problems is that by the time we have enough evidence to convince people, you're dead. We must realize, he says, that unless we are extremely lucky, everybody will disappear in a cloud of blue steam in 20 years. 1969. One more, one more. Show just how far this goes. In 2004, the U.S. Pentagon warned President George W. Bush that major European cities would be beneath rising seas, Britain will be plunged into a Siberian climate by 2020. <laughs> wow. Really? Serious. These are educated people. These are educated people who don't read the Bible. Um, I could go on and on. Folks, are climate scientists infallible and perfect. No. But the Bible is. The Bible absolutely is. Uh, majority of scientists, let's just be honest, the unbelieving ones especially, the believing ones, the small handful that they are that believe in Christ, they, they, they uh, give us different data. But the unbelieving ones, they're fallen, depraved sinners, just like the rest. Fallen, depraved, self-preserving Sinners, they realize that if a climate crisis dries up, so do their federal grants. The millions that they get to study this over and over and over again naturally causes them to interpret data with a selfish motive. You know, I appreciate scientists, and I mean this big time. Uh, They have given us all kinds of medical advancements. Uh, We can operate on the heart. We can put stints in. I know Fred back there has had 8 or 10 of them put in that's wonderful stuff amazing stuff that they do but they're not infallible in fact when you look at it most of them the unbelieving ones think that give an alternative origin to earth big bang and 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 they propose that we evolve from monkeys i mean these are these are educated scientists so christians don't blindly trust scientists uh, i don't know about you but This is apart from politics. Apart from politics. I imagine our former President Barack Obama um, is a pretty well-informed guy. He's got a a lot of information. I don't think he's dumb either. I think he's a pretty smart fella. Over eight years, he received daily briefings assessing all kinds of threats to our country, might affect our country, latest data from climate research. According to numerous sources, including Realtor.com, Barack and Michelle Obama have put money in escrow and are waiting to purchase their $15 million oceanfront home in Martha's Vineyard. Barack Obama's not worried about ice caps melting. He's not. Um, neither should you, by the way. The second photo gives the impression that this, this wonderful, beautiful estate's all of three to five feet above ocean level. President Obama is not afraid of oceans rising because he knows the scientific data does not support it. I'm not afraid because scripture does not support it. The oceans are st- not statistically rising. Um, hundreds of years we learned in school that Venice has been sinking. Remember that? For hundreds of years they've known that. We learned that in school back in the 70s and 80s and now they're saying that oceans are rising. No, it's, it's sinking. It's sinking. Um, All of these things I bring up is so that you can begin to use discernment and stop believing people who suggest your world is going to end if you don't blindly embrace them. Christians need to be smarter than that. Uh, Activists activists deify pets. Uh, They want to, to keep us from eating meat. Consumption of livestock, they say, is contributing to climate change. All this stuff. I tell you what, um, I'm certainly not going to trust anyone who claims that they, they need me to stop eating barbecue. <laughs> that, that just is not going to happen. Folks, Gerald just told me there was a big protest at a game last night. I didn't even see it. This, this stuff has gone over the top. Completely over the top. The end of the world is going to come. We are assured of that. Scripture assures us it's not going to be due to climate change. The world will end the day that Christ returns to save His believing remnant. Just like Noah and Lot. And then destroys all of those who do not believe in Him. It's not rising seas we need to fear. It's God's judgment that people need to fear. But they don't fear that at all anymore. Do you know the most sinister... And deceitful component about claims that we only have, you know, 10 or 12 years to live before the world ends, at least as we know it, anyhow. Do you know what's most sinister about that? What makes you think you have that long? What makes you think you've got that long? Christ is coming, He's going to return for His believing remnant, uh, for you young folks. This is the reason that your parents and your grandparents, uh, they bring you to Awana, they put you in Sunday school, they they teach you at home. It's they want you to be ready on that day. That day is coming, which could be today. It could be today. Uh, We saw in our scripture reading earlier, the Apostle Paul warned young Timothy. Warned what he needed to be concerned about. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Paul writes, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, says Paul. You, however, speaking to Timothy and to us, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, that is the Bible, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. From childhood, Timothy, he'd been taught the scriptures by his, by his grandmother and his mother uh, because they wanted Timothy to be ready. Paul wants us to be ready. This is one reason that he tells us that evil men will and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. Evil, pro- evil proceeds from bad to worse. Uh, followed by God, that's a pattern we see, followed by God taking the remnant to safety and bringing judgment on everyone who's left. Um, there were some who were godly before Noah. Before his time, we, we refer to them as the, the righteous line of Seth. You read about that in Genesis, where it says, the righteous line of Seth, these descendants of Seth, they called on the name of the Lord. They were believers. They were faithful men like like Enoch, and Methuselah, and, and of course Noah. But as evil increased across the earth, Genesis 6 verse 5 tells us that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. That every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only continually evil. All of the time. And before Noah, evil proceeded from bad to worse. As there was murder, there was corruption, there was strife. And one man named Lamech, he even bragged, I killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. You know, and Lamech boasted then that he would, he would avenge 77-fold. Take avenge 77 times uh, on anyone who challenged him in in any way whatsoever. God destroyed the earth by flood because men didn't esteem human life any longer. say, well, how do you get to that? Uh, Well, after Noah steps off the ark a few months later, one of God's first commands to him was designed, intended to prevent murder. It's in the Noahic covenant where God declared, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Why? For the image of God he made man. Man is made in the image of God. That's why we don't murder man. So man didn't hesitate to murder Lamech and those in his day because they didn't didn't respect the image of God that that is placed in man, it's present in man. And it proceeded from bad to worse until, well, only a remnant remained. You know, Noah plus seven. Noah plus seven others ended up on the, on the ark, and they were taken to safety. While the rest, we are told in verse 27, the flood came and destroyed them all. All of them. Only a remnant was taken to safety. In, in a similar way, says verse 28, this happened during the, the days that Lot lived in Sodom. Uh, They're also proceeded from bad to worse. You know, there are nine times in the New Testament. A lot of people don't realize this. There are nine times in the New Testament alone. That's just the New Testament. Where Scripture mentions the severity of God's judgment on Sodom. And five of those nine times, it's brought up by Jesus himself. Five of the nine times. And on one of these occasions is what we're reading right here. Luke chapter 17 in our passage. Yet, some professing Christians have begun to act as if they forget entirely, forget entirely the reason God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It's, it's like people just, just have entered a state of denial. They'll read that, yeah, God destroyed Sodom, but they'll, they'll never contemplate Why? Jude 7 describes Sodom's violation as gross sexual immorality. The Apostle Peter says Sodom and Gomorrah are given to us as an example of those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if God rescued Lot, says Peter, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for what, uh, by what he saw and heard that righteous man, meaning Lot, uh, while living among the, them, he felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. You know, some days in America, I feel like I'm tormented day after day by lawless deeds. And there remain even today you know, evil men and impostors who are deceiving and being deceived, uh, who dare to propose that, that, sin, uh, that sin that God judged in Sodom and the surrounding cities wasn't homosexuality. That, that's what they say. They claim God judged Sodom only because they threatened harm to God's angels who went to visit Lot. Have you heard that one? Some false teachers also claim that God judged Sodom not because he condemns homosexuality, But because the men of Sodom tried to forcibly make Lot's uh, guests unwilling participants in it. So they say it isn't the sexual act itself. It's just that they tried to force it upon Lot's guests. Uh, guests. So attempted rape is the charge. That they say that's what God was angry about. But both of these bogus explanations suppress the truth that God had determined to destroy Sodom Long before he ever sent the angels into Sodom, the decision had been made previously as Lot was tormented by their sensual conduct day and night, called gross sexual immorality. The, the truth is that God condemned Sodom and Gomorrah and reduced them to ashes because they had indulged in a sin repeatedly condemned in the Old and New Testament that Romans one twenty six describes as men who abandoned. The natural function of the woman and burned in their lust toward one another, men with men committing what is shameful. That's what Scripture says. And in our school systems, and, and in the media, on the internet, in movies, in videos, in television sitcoms, our children, our 9 to 12 year olds, our, well, 1 to 8 year olds too, our children are being relentlessly bombarded at an increasing uh, an ever increasingly young age to condone embrace and practice behavior that scripture assures invites the wrath of god this is what christians are struggling with struggling against battling against for the sake of their their children their children avoiding the approaching the looming the coming wrath of god and it's coming is the very reason each of our ministries teach the bible all scripture is god-breathed and useful for teaching for correcting for reproof and for training in righteousness and for this reason we we plead especially this day but but every sunday and every day we plead that our children will escape the wrath that is to come. That's what we want for them. That's why we teach them the Word of God. And by placing your faith in Christ, we'll all join that righteous remnant of believers who will enter God's kingdom when he returns. Heeding Paul's words, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred. Writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. In the days of Noah, it was the relentless murder of of humans who were created in the image of God that became a main contributor to God's judgment through a flood. In the day of Lot, it was a sexual perversion that violates nature and human reason that brought God's judgment by fire and brimstone. Cultures of murder and sexual immorality. The two sins that define America today. Increasingly, the whole world. It's essential that we diligently uh, prepare our children for the return of Christ and the judgment that is to come. In closing, Jesus' disciples... He was just shocked at what he was suggesting. The the judgment that was to come. Said to him in verse 37, Well, where, Lord? You You know, it's like they were wondering, Where could a judgment like that possibly come? That horrendous. But Jesus simply replied, Where the corpse is, there also the vultures will be gathered you know, you know, where wasn't really the worry for them at that time? In less than a month, if our chronology is right in Scripture, in less than a month, Christ is going to hang on the cross. That, that was the immediate concern for the disciples. They had enough to contend with. But we know where. We know where. It's going to be everywhere, folks. Everywhere. The whole earth will be judged. And just like when you see vultures circling overhead, Jesus says, when the final judgment comes... You'll know where. You will know where when you see it. Um, This church is wholeheartedly committed to none of us being there. None of us being there, but that we all go to Christ when He takes that remnant with Him. Let's pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, Lord, as we we look towards your return and, and, and to come not only to judge the wicked, but to take the righteous uh, into your presence, Lord, that we would dwell with you and, and enjoy uh, your greatness and your holiness and your your mercies uh, for eternity, Lord, as you take us into heaven, as you take us with you into your kingdom, Lord, we pray uh, for each of us here today, for our neighbor, neighbor's and uh, for our friends, for our family, for our children, uh, that we'll take them along with us. Lord, by your mercy and by your grace, uh, we invite you uh, to save souls. Lord, uh, bless our children's ministries uh, that sow seeds of the gospel. And uh, into the hearts of these little ones whom we know you love. Father, we, uh, we ask that you strengthen your church, preparing the next generation of youth, uh, so that they might persevere. And Lord, that uh, we not entertain them to hell, but Lord, that we disciple them into the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. And uh, Lord, we prepare them uh, for when Christ comes. And Lord, we prepare ourselves. And uh, we ask that by your grace, that none of us would be here, counted amongst the mockers. But Lord, that we would endure the persecution until the end for your holy name's sake. Father, if anyone here, hasn't trusted in Christ, in his death for our sins, burial after, and then resurrection from the dead, Lord, we pray that your spirit would give uh, him or her understanding today. In Christ's name we ask. Amen.